Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them. We're going to be in Acts. Uh, we are going to be in chapter 11 today, and so we're picking back up in the book of Acts. And uh, John, number one over there, if you can just turn it down just a little bit. It's the one that's all the way over to the left, closest to you. It says wireless. Just crank it down a little bit. That'd be awesome. Perfect. Good job. Um, all right, Acts chapter 11. Uh, so the last couple of weeks, we've looked at um, a couple of different things. We looked at uh, Peter and Peter going and healing people. Um, and then from as he was kind of healing people, uh, we saw a really interesting thing happen last week um, in dealing with two characters, both dealing with Peter as well as dealing with Cornelius and God working and moving amidst visions and dreams. And so... Uh, we saw God ultimately orchestrate the, the getting together of Cornelius and Peter in order for the gospel to break through um, ethnic boundaries, uh, racial boundaries, and ultimately bloodline boundaries that were between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so Cornelius was the one who received salvation last week. He was the one, uh, both he and his household, who were technically God-fearing Gentiles. And so they prayed to God as best they could. They gave to the poor and needy the best they could. They, they were essentially God-fearing people. They, they wanted to know God, but didn't ultimately have the best route of getting there. So it was very much just being good people, uh, doing good deeds. And that was kind of the, the way in which they were trying to know God. And so God kind of sends this vision to Cornelius and says, like, I have, I have seen your prayers. I have seen your good works. I'm going to bring to you what you need in order to truly know me. And at the same time, God gives a dream to Peter. Um, we say it's a dream. It was kind of more of a trance. It just kind of like knocks him out and he's just in a, in a weird place. And so um, God puts him in a trance and then, and then ultimately gives him this dream of this weird sheet that drops down over the earth and as the sheet comes down there's all these animals within the sheet and and God says rise up kill and eat them and Peter's looking around and he says no these are these are all kinds of unclean animals like we these are ones that we have not been within our dietary laws and restrictions that were given by you God to us via the Old Testament like we're, we're not allowed to partake of this this is common and unclean and then he ultimately said, whatever I have created, do not consider it common and unclean. And God had to refer to him three times that statement. And then whenever he came out of the trance, there were then three Gentiles sent from Cornelius to come and grab Peter. Um, and ultimately bring Peter to Cornelius for him to now realize, oh, it's not just about dietary restrictions and laws. Um, those are now fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, but now Jesus is also fulfilling the fact that we are restricted to interact with people outside of our bloodlines, outside of our lineage, outside of our culture, outside of our um, religious customs. And so now the gospel has gone to um, the Gentiles. It's broken through to them. And so today is looking at Peter 
coming back into the office. He's coming back to Jerusalem. He's going back to the church, and he's going to give the church a report on what God is doing. And so that's what we're going to dive in and look at. And I'm going to read for you the, the first 18 verses. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent, in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also had accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now there's a lot of different ways in which you can kind of spin this sermon. You can just continue to to essentially hammer in what we've been trying to hammer in over the last several weeks, which is just getting the gospel to uncomfortable situations, getting the gospel to people that are different than you, getting the gospel to those who are of different age, different socioeconomic background, different skin color, uh, whatever it looks like, let's just get the gospel to them. Um, but one thing that I wanted to focus on when looking at this, and, and this was kind of also sparked in um, a conference that I went to this last week that, that really focused in on um, pastors and, and whether or not we're operating out of naivety or, or operating out of um, foolishness or wisdom. And, and kind of one of the things that was brought up this week was this idea of how pastors deal with difficult church members. Um, and, and at the same time as I was reading this and I kind of look at that first part of Peter returning to Jerusalem and then the circumcision party, which is essentially like that's his, that's the apostles, that's, that's his lay members, like that's his lay elders, that's his deacons, like these are the people who are essentially for him are criticizing him because of the word that has come to them. And so, um, so this is kind of what I wanted to focus on. And, and, and my intent here is not to essentially have the main point be pastors being victims from vicious church members. So don't hear that as the main point of this sermon, but rather the main point of this message is to, to teach 
us as I'm teaching myself how we are to respond to one another when God does something in our lives that's difficult um, or that's different or that's unexpected or that's challenging for us in a, in a specific way. Anytime we face a situation that we might initially disagree with, as Proverbs says, we can either respond foolishly or we can respond with wisdom. And that's primarily what I want to instruct us in today as we look at this report Peter brings to the church. Um, as it says in verses 1 and 2, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. So Pastor Peter's on a trip, as we saw last week. God sent for him to bring the gospel and share it with Cornelius and his household, namely the Gentiles. And up until this point, we know the gospel has only reached Jews. And so if you were to ask the first church, I mean, this is the first church, right? If you were to ask the first church, this church plant in Jerusalem, what's your target audience? Because like that's, that's a common question that's asked. Don't know how many times I've been asked that question. Like, what's your target audience as a church planter? And for me, as, as a young church pastor um, with a small congregation, do they have a heartbeat? <laughs> like, that's who we're targeting. Like, we're not going after some, like, niche market of people that are out there, like, you know, like, deaf. Like, you know, or like, we're just, we're just, do they have a heartbeat? Like, that's who we're ministering to. But if you were to ask the audience in Jerusalem up until this point, and based on how we see them criticize Peter... They're probably saying, yeah, we're after the bloodline. We're after fulfilling Abraham's ultimate vision of seeing the, the, well, seeing the gospel come to his family. Not necessarily the nations, but the gospel coming to his family. We're, we're looking at Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes. We're looking at the gospel getting to them. And so we're, we're after what Jesus said in taking the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. We're not necessarily sure that he was serious about the ends of the earth and when he said go and and make disciples of all nations well at this point we're just kind of looking at the nations of israel we're looking at the the jewish bloodline we'll even allow it to get to samaria the half breeds but when it comes to the gospel going outside of that i don't i don't think that they would consider that their target even though just 60 days prior to this he's given them that message you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're going to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't even think that was on Peter's heart and mind, right? Because when Peter gets this vision, what, what does he immediately do? Uh, I'm not allowed to go to the unclean and the common. I'm not allowed to interact with them, God. This is, this is your rules. I'm not supposed to go there. I'm not supposed to touch those things. And so the church, up until this point, had no intention of taking the gospel to this place. Maybe, just maybe, they were thinking God isn't ultimately serious about the nations, and surely he's not serious about the ends of the earth. But as Peter's out performing hospital visits and healing people, God texts him and ultimately says, Hey, Peter, I want you to, I want you to go to this guy Cornelius' house, and I want you to take the gospel to him. And Peter does it, and they receive Jesus, and they receive the Holy Spirit, just as they received Jesus, the Jews, and they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. God's done for the Gentiles exactly what he's done for the Jews. So now Peter's 
heading back to the office. And I wonder, I wonder what was going on in Peter's heart as he's heading back to Jerusalem. Was there an excitement? Because he just witnessed people receive salvation, which is what, why we do what we do. I mean, that's the only reason we do what we do, is so that people come to know Jesus. And so Peter's just witnessed the greatest success of the church is to see people come to know Jesus. And so as he's heading back to the office, is he excited to share that news? Or is he coming back to the office and he's got a little bit of anxiety built up in him because of who received the gospel? And who he's about to enter into a meeting with. I can just picture it kind of like when Peyton Manning left the Colts and went to the Broncos and won a Super Bowl. And now he wants to come back to the Colts and say, hey guys, let me tell you what happened. Like, I don't think that's going to go well, right? Like, maybe it's not exactly the same, but you get the point. The part that gives me anxiety about this text is that they already know before he gets back to Jerusalem. And they're already frustrated. They're already upset. That, that just gives me anxiety. Word has already gotten back to them. I picture the movie Elf, where Will Ferrell has is, is been demoted to quality control. And he's in the little jack-in-the-box room. And he's just kind of, like, so nervous. Because eventually just something's going to pop out at him. And I just picture that as like, as Peter's walking into this situation, as walking back into the office, that he's just kind of like, I really don't want to open my emails today. Because I'm just waiting to see, concerned, we need to talk. Or we need to meet with you ASAP. And how does it go for Peter? What does the text say? say the circumcision party criticized him. That is, the Jewish Christians, his executive pastors, his lay elders and deacons, the majority of his covenant members criticized him. The word for criticism here does not just mean, hey man, we, we think you did something wrong, and we just want to get together and, and allow you to explain yourself. Like, that's not criticism in the Greek here. In the Greek here, it's diakrino, which means to separate yourself, to remove yourself, and then to oppose harshly. So this is saying, hey, you've done something so bad that we don't even want to associate with you. I can't even look at you right now. And then not only that, but we're now going to ultimately insult you and destroy your character because of what you've accomplished, what you've done. And this is where I want us to open up our hearts and learn. Because the church here responds to something that God does, but they respond to it in a foolish way. They're responding in folly. And honestly, we don't take that term fool as serious as we should in our English translations and definitions. We joke about it, man, that's foolish, or you're a fool. But like, we don't take it to heart as serious as, as being more than just a cut down, that it's actually a state of depravity. I mean, here's what the Bible says about a foolish person. Proverbs 17, 12 says, Let a man meet a she-bear, a, a female bear, robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Like, hey, Peter, it's, it's better for you 
be out in the wilderness and encounter a mama bear who's just had her cubs stolen from her, robbed from her, taken from her, than for you to go into this covenant members meeting that you're about to go into. I'm like, that's what the, that's what the text is saying. Now, why do I think this church is responding foolishly? Because they've received the word about Gentiles receiving salvation. Now they have an opinion or an option. Either seek to understand the situation. God, what are you up to here? Or express their impulsive opinion. God, how dare you? Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Their immediate response was to separate themselves from Peter and then oppose him with criticism. And everyone present is guilty of this. As it says, the the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard this. How did they hear it? They they didn't read an article or a position paper that was published and sent from Peter to the executive team. In first century, word travels by testimony. So the word gets back to them because of hundreds of people saying, hey man, did you hear about Peter? Brother's gone off the deep end. He's eating with Gentiles. That's what they criticized him with in verse 3. How dare you go and eat with Gentiles? They're, they're not even thinking about the fact that salvation has come to them. How dare you associate with them, be seen with them? Have them over to your house for dinner. How dare you? Proverbs 26, verse 6 says, Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own and drinks violence. Those who hear news and don't seek to understand it, but rather choose to pervert that news into gossip are no different than a person who cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Why feet? The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 15, your feet are fitted with the readiness of the gospel. That means biblically is that your feet are the symbolism of advancement, moving forward, charging ahead. The feet are the vehicle for productivity. Someone who receives a message by a fool and then passes it along is severing their purpose and mission in the moment. They're no longer trusting God. They're no longer trusting what he is ultimately seeking out to accomplish. The gospel does not advance in the midst of gospel, of gossip. And if that were not enough, it caps it off by saying that they drink violence. Not not only are they ceasing the advancement of the gospel in their folly, but now they are ceasing to hunger and thirst for righteousness because they are now hungering and thirsting for violence, for destruction, for cutting people down. And this is the church, the church, the first church, the church that we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, who had all things in common, who were loving getting together and communing with one another, who were passing bread, who were praying constantly, who were devoted to the apostles' 
teaching and to the fellowship, to the koinonia, to the, to the fellowship of the believers. The, the, the kind of scandalous term there, the intercourse of relationships, the intermingling of souls. And if it can happen to them, it can absolutely happen to us. It can absolutely happen to us. How do we combat the temptation to be a fool? Proverbs 12, verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. He listens to advice. This is why we want to focus so much on instruction in God's word and teaching and training people how to study their Bible, which hopefully you will come to that next, next Sunday morning, 8.30, little snag here, institute will start, four-week study, 45 minutes of Sunday, how to study your Bible. Because that's where we gather in our instruction that's where we receive advice a fool thinks i already know everything that i need to know in order to judge the situation rightly and so i'm going to impulsively respond with my own opinion peter how dare you but a wise person would do as James 1.19 says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to listen and slow to speak. If you're quick to listen and slow to speak, that allows you the opportunity to be able to engage in the entire context of the situation. Hey, Peter, we heard something crazy happen. Could you let me in on that? What's going on here? I, I, I really want to give you the benefit of the doubt. I really want to understand this situation. What's going on here? Can, can you tell me what God's doing in your heart and in your mind? And then be slow to speak. Let me think on this a little bit. Let me, let me let this kind of stew within me real quick. Let me figure this out. Let me seek God in prayer to see, God, are, are, are you wrestling something within my own heart, within my own my mind when it comes to what Peter is doing here? Because that then allows us to be slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce righteousness. So are we slow to, to speak and slow to anger? Because we ultimately want to see righteousness produced within our lives and our church and our community. Let us be wise people who seek understanding and are not quick to give a misguided opinion. Now let's look at how Peter responds to his beloved church. First I want to show you how he doesn't respond before I read it again. I don't think he responds how Michael Scott would on The Office. Like anytime there's, there's a difficult situation that, that's brought up, 
or something that's frustrating the, the group. <laughs> what does Michael Scott do? Does he pull them in and say, hey, let's just really dive into the situation that's here. Let's look at the policy handbook. Like, let's get out the rules and, and like, let's really, does he respond in a wise way? No, he responds naively. Like, he responds foolishly. He's all about deflecting and deferring the situation. How can I distract the situation? How can I make light of the situation? Hey, guys, it's not as bad as it really is. Let's just do this. Let's just play a game here. It's not as bad as, like, it's constantly trying to put a Band-Aid on, like, literally a severed arm. It's just a, I mean, you're going to die, but it looks better if we just put some Band-Aids on it. And unfortunately, like, I, that's a temptation that I feel so often is when things are difficult. Man, how can we make light of the situation? How can we fluff it up? How can we make people feel better? How can we keep morale boosted? How can we, how can we? When the wise thing to do to just go back to what God is doing. Man, Peter doesn't defer, deflect. He doesn't come in. He's like, hey man, I just took a wrong street. <laughs> like I was, I was trying to get to some Jews, but the road was blocked, and so I ended up beyond Samaria. I was, I mean, even if I could have just got to some of the half-breeds, it would have been fine. You would have only been half upset with me. But instead, I landed in the ends of the earth with some Gentiles. But it's not that big a deal because it was just a few of them, just a household. All right, so let's just ignore it. They're on their own now. No, that's not what he does. Peter began and explained it to them in order. And I'm not going to go through it again. The main thing I want you to see is is what Peter says in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? I mean, if you're going to like just end an argument with anybody really quickly, like that's exactly what you just need to do. Who am I to get in the way of what God wants to do? Who am I when God is moving and acting and working? Man, this church wasn't what it was first set out to be. Who am I for what God is doing? I mean, people ask me all the time, like, is this the church you thought it would be when you first started out? No, not at all. But I'm really glad it's not what I first thought it would be. Because as I heard a a good friend of mine down in Alabama say one time, don't plant the church you want because you're going to ultimately end up planting the church that you need. We didn't need to plant a church that within six months grew to 300 people. And 
and I just kind of settled back into just a specialized teaching role and didn't do essentially anything else. That's not what we needed. Dwayne, you're young. We need you to do a lot of things outside of your comfort zone. Because it challenges me. When I set out after being a youth pastor, like church planting was the sexy thing to do at the time. Man, you're getting away from established church life free to do whatever you want to do. You don't have to go through months and months of meetings and trying to convince people that this agenda is a good idea. Like you, you're the one that gets to call the shots. No one ever told me that that would be a very heavy burden. God gave us the exact church that we needed. I think he gave us 90% of people a chapter below us because it challenged us to grow up faster than we needed to. At the conference this week, anytime you go to a, a pastor's conference, you always just feel like you're behind. <laughs> like you're inadequate. Like you're looking around at all these other guys who are speaking and teaching. You're like, man, if I could just read as often as they read, if I could get up as early as they get up, if I could lead as well as they lead and teach as well as they teach. But this conference was, for the first time, different for me. Because every single guy that got up was at different stages of ministry. One guy that spoke hasn't even planted his church yet. Another guy planted 10 years ago. His church runs a couple thousand now. And then everybody in between. And every single one of them got up and said the exact same thing. It's not what we thought it would be. It's difficult at the season we're in. We have no idea what we're doing. We're just trusting that God is not behind. And the last guy that got up and kind of closed out the conference, he said the exact same thing. He said, right now you're probably feeling inadequate and like you're behind and that you're not enough for what your church needs to lead. He said, but the same God who's working in their lives, the same God who saved them, justified them, and is sanctifying them, the same God who loved me saved me, and justified me, and is sanctifying me right now. Although you may feel behind, God is not behind in his work in your life. 
God's never behind, right? We feel it, but God's never behind. God never takes a day off when it comes to our growth, my growth, your growth, when it comes to our church growth. God's in control. God's sovereign. And no matter how many times I can look at our situation and say, we're not on track, we're not growing like we need to grow, we're not moving like we need to move, we're not outreaching like we need to outreach, we're not seeing baptisms like I would love to see baptisms. That little soft voice. Man, who am I to stand in God's way of what He's church had an invitation to respond to Peter's message. When they heard these things, and it's appropriate for this room right now, they fell silent. The ones who were adamantly criticizing him, separating themselves from Peter. When they heard these things, they fell silent. Sometimes that's just what we need. Silence. Just a time to take a breath. And to relax. And to rest in our situation. To not overthink things. But just to trust that God is not. says they glorified God saying and I don't think this is half hearted and then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life we are going to face incredible incredible difficulties as a church both as an organization, as a church. We're going to hit financial pitfalls at times. We're going to hit systems and structures and organizational just train wrecks. We're going to have volunteer depletion and inadequacy often. We're going to have seasons where preaching lands just in a rut. And there's going to be other times where you're like, man, you're bringing it. There's going to be seasons where the music resonates with our hearts and our souls and we're excited. And there's going to be other seasons where come in, I feel numb. There's going to be times where you're on the forefront of pursuing relationships and it seems one-sided where I'm the one that does all the texting and I never get a response. And then there's seasons where you need to sit back and relax and let other people pursue you. 
thing has an ebb and flow that is constantly changing. My prayer for us is that we would be quick to listen for what God is teaching. And slow not provoke us to anger that does not lead to righteousness but that we seek understanding of our situation where we are personally where we are as a church community so that we can then be able to proclaim as God is moving he is granting repentance that leads to life what we want, God. We want life. We want life amidst the mess. So I thank Peter for his faithful service to do something that was not on his mind and heart as he first ventured out to plant the church. He was willing to risk something that he knew was going to provide him a lot of He, he's just trusting what God has called him to do. And I pray that we each do the same thing. Because if it weren't for him taking that first step, God calling him out of his comfort zone to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, we would not be sitting in this room. Because last I checked, I don't think there's a Jew in here. <laughs> We're all Gentiles. the gospel went to them and it's gone to the ends of the earth and it's still continuing to go to the ends of the earth so let us be quick to listen to what it's doing in our hearts and in our minds amongst our families and our, our church let's pray together God we thank you we thank you that you God who's patient with us. We thank you, Lord, that you have seen fit to include us in the story of your redemption. God, when you had the call for the apostles to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, you had our names, each one of us in this room, in your mind as you meted that out. So, Father, we thank you for the call that you give to each one of us to go outside of what's comfortable, to go outside of what's simple, and to move into areas that are difficult and complex. <coughs> This, can, this could have everything to do with our family, our career, our friendships, the type of people that we interact with. God, I, I just, I know, I know that 
not behind That's where we find rest. We don't find rest, and here's a list of things to go do in order to accomplish. We find rest in just sitting at your feet. God, I pray you refresh each person in this room this morning. Restore their soul. Lavish them with love and peace and joy as they are faced with so many anxieties every single day. Lord, be be our sanctuary. time just being silent. Five or ten minutes. Let's just be silent. And just let the promises of God which is, I think the song is just fine, but anyway. Let's just let the promises of God just just land on our hearts. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at